0: but overcome evil with good. You guys ready for this? We are wrapping up Romans chapter 12 this morning with verses 14 through 21. And this is a challenging passage. You know, last week we talked about genuine love and what it looks like and that genuine love is action oriented. And, we, ch- and we, we have to choose to love sometimes. And when we choose to love, uh, sometimes it changes our perspective it changes our mindset. And in doing so, it can change our heart. So let our love be genuine. Let our love be action-oriented. And this teaching, it continues on into verses 14 through 21. And, and this morning, if you don't walk away challenged this morning, I'm probably doing something wrong. Or, or maybe you dozed off, or, or maybe you're, you're Jesus, and you're perfect at all this relational stuff, and all of your relationships are, are as good as possible. If that's you, you won't be challenged. But if it's not, if all your relationships aren't perfect and you're not like Jesus in every possible way, I think you might be challenged this morning. Uh, So here we go. We're going to break this down. Paul, he doesn't pull any punches here at all because verse 14 begins with, bless those who persecute you. Huh? Yeah, says Paul, bless and do not curse them. And for context, Christians were, were not like real popular at this time. They had uh, these new beliefs and, and stopped doing the pagan sacrifices, uh, which separated them um, and, and was, was different. And this was especially a problem when it came to worshiping Caesar as Lord. They were especially not real popular with the who's who of the Roman society. There's a senator and a historian, Tacitus, and he writes scathingly about the Christians, saying that they are hated for their abominations. And this sentiment is not too surprising for Christians and and Christianity at its core undermined Roman society, which was founded upon classism and slavery, where, where about one in four people in the empire were slaves. And beyond that, they love their gladiator battles. They love their violence and their indulgences of every kind. Uh, Christianity undermined all of that. And maybe worst of all was their undermining of loyalty to the empire and to Caesar. To not worship Caesar was an abomination, which the first century Christians and us would view it as the opposite. To worship Caesar is the abomination, for there's only one God, and it's not Caesar. So that's a picture of the early church context and the hostility that these early believers were facing in Rome. And here's Paul saying, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Bless meaning speak kindly to them and of them. Not cursing meaning not wishing them harm. Not speaking harm against them like saying, Man, I hope they die. Rather, speak blessings to them and of them and praying for them. Instead of, I hope they die, try, I hope they find life. I hope they find life in Christ. Do this for those who mock your faith, who exclude you because of it, who sneer at you and say all kinds of terrible things about you. Bless them and do not curse them. And Paul's just getting started here. He goes on, verse 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. This is is a mark of true love, true friendship, true Christianity. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We celebrate when good things come to others. We celebrate the successes of others. We don't celebrate the misfortune of others. We don't grow jealous of others. No, we rejoice with them as those who desire the best for others. And also, we weep with those who weep. We don't rejoice at others' suffering. We come alongside and help to bear one another's burdens, weeping with those who weep. If you have a a so-called friend who celebrates the worst for you, that's not a friend. A friend rejoices and desires the best for you. And when tragedy and misfortune strikes, a true friend will grieve with you. And we're called to do the same for our friends loving them and desiring the best for them, celebrating the wins for that person and grieving their losses. When you get really good news and and you want to celebrate it, who's the first person that you want to call to share that good news with? Because, man, they're going to celebrate with you. And I encourage you, be that person for somebody else. Be that kind of friend for somebody else. Rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. How do we live in harmony? We know that one, right? Earlier in Romans chapter 12, it's through humility. It's always first through humility and then comes unity. So as Paul says, do not be haughty and do this by associating with the lowly. In the early church, there were, there were problems. Uh, the rich ate with the rich, leaving the poor on the outside with not enough food to drink in the, in the Corinthian church. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verses 20-22, through 22, Paul lays into the church of Corinth, writing, "...when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What?" Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Paul's fired up in seeing this and hearing of this. In Galatians uh, chapter two, uh, verses 11 through 14, Paul writes about having to correct Peter's hypocrisy. He says, but when Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, Because he stood condemned, for before certain men uh, came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So, so Paul is calling out Peter's hypocrisy in front of everyone. Paul is saying here, Peter, you're not saved by works. You're not saved by the law. If you were saved by those things, Christ's death would be meaningless. No, you are saved by grace through faith period. Don't capitulate to the circumcision party who who want to force the Gentiles to live like Jews, to bear the yoke of the law that Christ came to fulfill. And Paul did this publicly because Peter was a leader and even Barnabas was led astray, ceasing to eat with the Gentiles as if they were below him. The early church had its fair share of problems. So here in Romans, Paul is saying, associate with the lowly. God shows no partiality, neither should we. And he ends this thought with, never be wise in your own sight. For as soon as you become wise in your own sight, you show yourself a fool. And that is the surest way to destruction. As Proverbs 26, 12 says, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Jesus gives us a picture of this attitude. We're to at have that Paul's talking about in the parable he tells about the Pharisee and the tax collector went up to the temple to pray. Jesus told this in Luke 18, verses 10 through 14. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Then Jesus, after telling this parable, said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Be humble. Associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. It's pretty, it's pretty easy for us to go around as this Pharisee did and, and, and pick faults with the world, pick faults with, with the corrupt, the, the oppressors, the unjust. But what the Bible does, and especially Jesus, is get right to our very own heart. So we're not looking around pointing fingers. Rather, we see ourselves and our own heart for what it is and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Continuing on here, verse 17, Paul says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. We are to represent Christ in all things. So, so we do not compound evil with more evil. Rather, we give thought to doing what is honorable in the sight of all. So, so not just honorable by our own concoctions in our head, but honorable in the sight of people that we look up to. Think of those people in our lives that we look up to. In in, in KCC, the families here, consider them. That changes things, doesn't it? Now it's not just you and your reputation and your honor, but also the reputation and honor of your brothers and sisters. That's now at stake. That's now on the line, and not least of which, the reputation of Christ. Consider who you represent. Do them honor in the face of evil. Verse 18, if possible... So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We're to live peaceably with all, if possible, as far as it depends on you. Meaning, not letting it be because of you that your relationship is not at peace. And it can often be ourselves that get in the way of living peaceably with all. Our pride. Wanting to be right in our own eyes, our selfishness, our jealousy, our envy, our strife, our anger, our temper, our greed, our lust, you know, our team, our group, our tribe. We can't let that stuff get in the way. You guys know what I'm talking about. Don't allow yourself to get in the way of living peaceably with all. Verse 19, beloved, never, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Never avenge yourselves. There's no no getting around this one, no skirting this one. Uh, And and if anyone has the right to speak on this, it's Paul. Paul, who was beaten to the point of death several times uh, throughout his ministry, through multiple lashings and even stonings by men who wanted to silence the gospel. He withstood verbal attacks from uh, religious rivals, including pagans and jews even fellow christians he was thrown in prison he was ran out of towns no other leader in the first century suffered more at the hands of other people than paul so saying to never avenge yourself came at a, at a great cost of giving it up himself to trust god with justice the god who sent his one and only son to lay his life down for his enemies you see our vengeance leaves no room for god's grace We gotta leave it in God's hands, surrender it to him because our life is a vapor. It's here and then it's gone. And every person will one day find themselves before the Almighty to be judged. If punishment is due, then it is inescapable. Justice will be done according to their deeds if indeed they trusted in themselves and their own deeds to be saved rather than trusting in the finished work of Christ. So we give it to God. He says it's mine because justice will come. But until that time, the Lord extends the offer of grace to all who do wrong. And we know that that even the justice dispensed by governments, which, which are put there by God, uh, can be an instrument of God to bring non-believers to repentance. So, so we've got to let God do that. We can't be interjecting ourselves in that. Do we trust him with it? And trust that it is in our own best interest to release it to him spiritually Mentally and physically, we are burdened by unforgiveness. It literally causes coronary heart disease and high blood pressure when we harbor anger and unforgiveness, not to mention what it does to our spiritual and mental state. And in the same way, harboring it affects us and burdens us, giving it to God, forgiving and trusting in him for justice, frees us. It frees us. He's the perfect judge, not us. So Paul is Paul's calling us to allow God to be the judge of souls, to dispense justice or bestow mercy according to His infinite wisdom. So we leave it to God, and, and we pray for God's intervention to bring that person to their knees in repentance, to do for them as He has done for us, and hopefully is doing at this very moment, to convict us of sin and lead us to repentance. And new life in Christ. Verse 20, to the contrary, Paul writes, to the contrary of taking vengeance. Instead, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Meaning, do the exact opposite of what your flesh desires. <laughs> Rather than taking vengeance, show kindness. That's radical. That's radical. And in doing so, in your kindness to your enemy, their hurtfulness towards you will be to their own shame. It will heap coals on their head. It's like the idiom of saying they have egg on their face. They will look the fool for their actions. And the hope is always to win an enemy, to be a friend in Christ. As Paul concludes in verse 21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What does being overcome by evil look like? Well, I think it looks like giving in to evil, letting it get the better of you, becoming complicit and part of the problem. It looks like living in fear, thinking everyone is out to get you and, and you trust no one. It's buying up, you know, all the toilet paper, you know, at the, at the beginning of, of the lockdowns. Uh, when, you, when you've got stockpiles at home already, you go and you buy more. That's being overcome by evil. But to overcome evil with good is giving away that extra toilet paper to somebody who needs it. And that just got real for us. It's it's kind of scary. What What would we do without toilet paper? Exactly. Give it to somebody who needs it. Don't be overcome by fear. Don't be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. Being overcome by evil looks like losing hope. What's the point? What's the point? What do we do in the face of such hatred, of such violence? What's the point? I'm just going to not try anymore. We become hopeless and overcome by the evil around us. Paul says, do not be overcome by this. Do not be overcome by this. But instead, as warriors of Christ, overcome evil with good. Overcome hatred with love. Overcome violence with mercy. Overcome fear with trust. Overcome hopelessness with the hope of Christ. Romans twelve twelve. what do we do? We rejoice in hope. We 're patient in tribulation. we 're constant in prayer. Those are our weapons. the weapons to not be overcome by evil. We rejoice in hope we 're patient in tribulation we 're constant in prayer. Paul's not talking to nation states he 's not talking to the Roman Empire here he 's not talking to to governments and, and trying to dictate foreign policy here. no he 's talking to you he 's talking to me. he 's talking to individuals on a daily basis saying in your life, in your family, in your workplace, in your community, in the life of the church, do not be overcome by evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It starts with our heart, and it's manifested in our tongue and in our actions. Overcome evil with good. The only reason any of this makes sense at all, to do this at all, or is worth it all, or or is at all reasonable, is because of the therefore at the beginning of the chapter— Therefore, we are to be living sacrifices. Why? Because of the mercies of God. Because of the mercies of God. Because they were given when we were found guilty. When we were found condemned before a holy and righteous God. Because we've all fallen short. But God has made a way. And how did he do it? By repaying us the debt that we accrued because of our sin? No. No. Rather, God sent his one and only son, who being in very nature God, was not haughty, he was not proud, but instead he associated with the lowly. And when humanity rejected him and Pontius Pilate sentenced him to death by crucifixion, he went willingly, according to the scriptures, as the atonement for the sin of the world. And on the cross he dealt with the evil of the world, and he overcame it with good, for he gave all of himself, being fully good in every way, and then he bore the full weight of the sin of the world and of evil and God's wrath against it unto death. But he wasn't done yet, for he not only overcame evil with good, but he also overcame death with life. From the third day he rose again, and he said, because I live, you also will live. Jesus, in every way, overcame evil with good. As when he healed the man with the shriveled hand, remember? In Mark's gospel, he healed the man with the shriveled hand on the Sabbath to the dismay of the religious leaders and the Pharisees who taught that the law superseded that which was good, so he could not heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus showed time and time again that it's not, that it's not about that, it's about our hearts, that God desires mercy, not sacrifice. The condition of our heart matters far more than our outward appearance and our outward accomplishments. For those who only rely on the outside are not capable of humility. Neither are they capable of overcoming evil with good. For to overcome evil with good is to act counter to the natural man. It is to transcend our lower and our baser instincts to act in the interests of eternity rather than the temporary. For what good is it to gain the whole world, Jesus says, and lose your soul? What good is vengeance? It belongs to God, for he is the only one worthy and capable of it. It is his. So we trust him with it. We give it to him. A few notes as we close here. First, remember, hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. That's just true. Broken and hurting people hurt people. It's not, about, it's not about you. Don't make it about you. It's a brokenness inside of them. And, and maybe it's just bad pizza they had. Maybe they miss breakfast. They miss lunch. Maybe they miss all three meals. And, and they're just on edge. They're in a bad spot. They, they, you know, you caught them at a bad time and they, they let it out against you. Don't, don't make it about you. Because often it's not. So instead show kindness, show love, forgive as we've been forgiven, for evil cannot overcome evil. Responding in evil only stirs up more evil. So overcome evil with good. Because second, we are responsible and accountable to the stewardship of our relationships. We're responsible for this. So take this seriously, just just as God the Father did. He took it seriously in taking the first step to restore us to himself when we betrayed him and he was in no way at fault. He bore the burden and has now given us the ministry of reconciliation in our relationships. It's not a small thing. I'm not saying this is easy <laughs> in no way. Paul, Paul's not saying here, this is going to be easy. Only that as we focus on Christ, the only rational response is to love as he has loved. A love that overcomes evil with good. To the world, it's foolishness, but it is the power of God and it is the wisdom of God. It is being a living sacrifice, not conforming to the patterns of this world, but being transformed by the renewal of our minds. It starts with humility, which leads to unity, which leads to purpose, so that we can love one another with a genuine love. And in so doing, overcome evil with good. That's Romans chapter 12. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you that you sent your only son to be the sacrifice and the atonement of the sins of the world, to bring us back into right relationship with yourself. You took the first step, Father. God, may we do likewise in our relationships. May we love as you've loved us. May we overcome evil with good, Lord. God, help us to make it about you. God, help us to be people who are unoffendable, uh, people who are unafraid, people who seek you, in all things, and seek to bring you glory and honor in all things, Lord. God, let us live this out. Give us the strength to do so. God, help us to forgive those who have wronged us. God, bring them to our minds at this moment. Bring the names and faces to our minds of people that we need to forgive. God, we just release them to you. We forgive them as you've forgiven us. Lord, we thank you for the gift of forgiveness for the freedom it brings. We pray that they may come to draw closer to you just as we long to draw closer to you. We love you, Lord. Go before us this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.